Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Andrew Ollerton from the Bible Society to inspire us to treasure the Bible. Andrew Ollerton, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you, John. Great to be with you. I'm really delighted is. that you're here. Well, Andrew, let's tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up uh, just outside, well, not far from here, actually, just outside London in Surrey, so uh, in the UK. Um, and uh, my father was actually a pastor of a church, so um, I was generally intended to go along to that as well. But to be honest, I, I love playing rugby, so I spent well, the best part of my uh, childhood and teenage years on the rugby field. You know, faith was part of that journey, but uh, it kind of developed into a personal thing. I think I, certainly in those early years, it wasn't my thing. I don't, I don't know if you know what I mean by that. I but do, it, I was, yes. it was I was brought up in it, but it was very secondhand. Yeah. Um, so that was part of my journey. Yeah, you had to personalise it and receive it for yourself. When would you say that happened well, for I, you? Well, I had to get in trouble, to be honest, before I... <laughs> so sometimes life has these moments of crisis and they're good for us, aren't they? And I remember... The slight crisis, which was rather awkward, was that the church my father was leading, uh, there was a youth camp, you know, when you sort of go away. Yes. And, and I was sent home early for bad behaviour from this youth camp for, I seem to remember, climbing over the roof into the girls' dormitory. So we won't go into the detail of that. But yes. uh, being sent home from that was a low point. But actually, it woke me up. I think I realised, you know, because I'd really, um, really displeased my parents, obviously. Uh, but also, I just felt, what am I doing? You know, I was about 15 at the time. And um, I also just was grappling with this issue around, as I had my 16th birthday, I remember just grappling with like, am I going to try and just please other people? I was a real people pleaser, I think, I, particularly in terms of the rugby. I wanted to be in the first team and then I wanted yes. to be um, the person that, you know, scored the tries. And I, I don't know, it was, it was not a good, I realised I wasn't in a good place. And so that crisis kicked me into a bit of a change. And I remember, actually, I remember, and this is, quite a vivid memory for me. I remember for the first time actually sitting in church and listening. Like that was no, that was no, that was a big deal. I'd, I'd, I'd been to church every week, but I'd never really listened for myself. Age 16, I started listening to my father's sermons. This is the ironic thing. He was the preacher and I started actually paying attention. And that was a real turning point for me because I realized, uh, well, I felt God was speaking to me. You know, you know that transition yeah, of the human voice and then yes. you realize there's another voice within that human voice that's that's speaking deeper. And so that really transformed me. So I got baptised when I was 16 wow. um, to show that I was heading in a new course. Now, you work for the Bible Society. Yeah. What's your role within the Bible Society? Well, um, I'm, I'm effectively involved in communications. Like, how do we communicate the Bible in the most compelling way, creative way possible? Bible Society is an amazing organisation. I don't know if you, you know, know the yeah, history of it. Yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Well, it all traces back to a young Welsh girl called Mary Jones, or Mary Jones, as yes. they would say in Wales. And uh, she was wanted a Bible. This is back in 18, uh, around 1800. She wanted a Bible. She couldn't get one. Um, and so she walked a marathon, 26 miles. Legend has it, yes. barefoot. Barefoot, um, yes. In North Wales to get a Bible. And the minister, Thomas Charles, in, in a place called Bala, where I actually spent my year out. We'll maybe come on to that. But Bala is this lovely little quaint town in North Wales. She walked there to get a Bible. He'd sold out, um, but he was so moved by this girl. I mean, who would, why would someone have to do that to get a Bible? So he gave her his own copy. Um, but I suppose we all have those moments where we see something and in that seeing, we get called into Absolutely. it. And it's like he, he obviously had a moment where he just thought, well, this has to change and, and I'm not going to rest. Until. So he was quite well connected in London. He came and um, along with others 
famously William Wilberforce, founded the yes. British and Foreign Bible Society. So founded in 1804, British and Foreign Bible Society has gone on then to expand globally. Its mission, if you think back to that story, was how do we translate and distribute the Bible? And for a couple of hundred years, that was definitely valid. That was the big cause. But of course, things have changed. You know, the digital revolution has caused change. And so now sure. our mission is increasingly not only how do we continue to translate and distribute copies of the Bible, but given that you can access it as a free download on your phone, the real yes. mission now is so how do you help people understand it? Like, how do we how do we make sense of it in our modern age and, and help people realize it's worth bothering with the Bible. Absolutely. So my job, you might think, is really just helping people realize it's worth bothering with the Bible. Of that's, course that's how I it think is. Of it. And your new book, uh, The Bible, a story that makes sense of life. Mm. Um, and this has just come out. Um, first of all, let me let's talk a little bit about the Bible. Um, uh, how do we know that it actually is the word of God? Well, uh, we don't, do we? Let's be honest. The, the, the reason we, we believe that, we don't know that in any sort of sense that you can put that in a test tube and prove it. But we've come to believe that. And I think that's important, that the Bible uh, can be dismissed as merely a human book, and many people do. But as you journey into the Bible, as you experience it for yourself, I think so many of us have reached a different conclusion. And that's, that's, there's an element of faith involved there. You can't test tube prove the Bible. Um, it's not a mathematical puzzle or a scientific problem. It's, it's a matter of trust. And the reason I trust the Bible to be not just human words, but it's worth remembering it is, it is human words. It's 100% human. You know, humans, around 40 different authors over many centuries uh, actually penned the, put pen to paper or, or, or the equivalent parchments sure. uh, and constructed this thing that we call the Bible. And many other humans have then been involved in compiling it and and editing it and bringing it to what it is today. So it's a thoroughly human thing. And we'd say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, exactly. And that's, that's where faith comes in, isn't yes. it? Because you can either just say, well, that's just human ideas. But then I, my response to that is, well, have you actually read it? Because when you read the Bible, and particularly when you see how something that should logically keep contradicting itself. I mean, if you think about 40 different authors compiling something over hundreds of different years, the idea that that would have coherence, well... You can't explain that unless there's something almost miraculous going on. There has to be. absolutely. There, so you can explain it away as human until you actually read the thing. And then you realize, wow, it's, it's like hyperlinked. You know, it's, it's uh, this bit prophesies forwards and tags to this bit. Well, how on earth did that happen? And so for me, sometimes it's the incredible prophecies. That's some of the evidence. I think obviously at the heart of the scriptures is Jesus Christ and what he thought of the, the Hebrew scriptures that he had. I mean, that's compelling, isn't it? He speaks about the scriptures as the word of God. And so yes. these, these are the things that when you, you can dismiss it, but then to dismiss the Bible, I think you just have to make sure you never actually read it. But once you start reading the thing, it, it gets a hold of you and it begins to make sense in a way that no other text does. And so my journey with the Bible has not been a simple one, if I'm very honest. I think um, there are times where I struggle with it. I still grapple with it. I still got plenty of questions about it. But I am persuaded from many readings of it, from much study of it, that the best explanation for what we have when we hold the Bible is that whilst multiple human writers uh, are its explanation in terms of the material realm, behind all of that, God was bringing together through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his word that brings life today. And so 
that's my persuasion. Yes. I, and I realize that, you know, many will disagree, but I'm convinced. In fact, the more I engage with the Bible, the more convinced I become. Not because it's easy, but because I can't find a better explanation for how the whole thing makes sense. When we're reading the Old Testament and we're wading through all <laughs> yes. this history and uh, data and uh, how many people and how many sacrifices, it, it is quite hard, isn't it? it is. Wading through it. But obviously, it's in the Holy Scriptures because there are principles there that are timeless for us. Uh, but sometimes there's a bit of a confusion as to, well, what's the relevance of the book of Chronicles, for example? Yeah, there absolutely is. It's funny you mentioned Chronicles. My son, uh, who's now 10, he, um, a few couple of years back, he, he, he announced that he was going to read the Bible. And I actually tried to dissuade him. I said, well, don't start at the beginning. You'll never make it. You know, you know start with Jesus kind of thing, which is advice I give. And I stick I by know. that advice. But he was like, well, no, you don't start a book in the middle, Dad. You start a book at the beginning. Yes. I, that was obviously so, so clear. And so he begins in Genesis. Anyway, um, I've still got a little note in my Bible, a little post-it note that he stuck on my desk. And it just says, um, Dad, I'm finding it confusing in one Chronicles. Yes. That was what he said in the note. And um, so I think, and I, my response to that note was, well, you and me both, son, you know, there's plenty of things. I mean, one Chronicles, you, you mentioned it, begins the first eight chapters. This is enormous genealogy, isn't it? Yes. Um, this incredible list of names. And you feel like, why am I reading the Hebrew telephone directory? <laughs> <Sort of Yes. laughs> but I think um, a couple of things. I think with that particular instance, actually, what that genealogy is doing is it's, it's a narrative device to take hold of one incredibly large story and sum it up in a very short space. And that's very important because I think one of the things we often fail to do with the Bible is we fail to read it in the light of the larger story. So we take one piece of the jigsaw one isolated jigsaw piece makes little sense held in isolation. But frame it by that larger story and the, the individual piece starts to make sense. So I think these genealogies, the best way I've thought to read them is, this is the writer wanting me to remember that as I read the small stories, there's this massive story unfolding. And if I could just take the small story and read it in the, larger of the, bigger, in the, in the light of the bigger story, this will really make sense. Now, I know even when you do that, there's some hard work. There's some, yes. not, not every page of the Bible is going to rock your world, you know, and I often say that to students that I teach. It's Part of it, I think, is we actually have to give time and attention to the history Yes. and almost recognize in this history is something very ancient and very significant. In other words, it's not that God has suddenly dropped a download. He's worked something out over an expansive period of time and we're part of this enduring covenant story of God's people. Now, when it comes to the old covenant, it's called that for good reason. Yes. We have to read it remembering that's not our covenant. That's not our chapter of the story. We're, we're part of the same story, but that's not our chapter. And I found that helpful because there are some things that, as you rightly say, they still give great wisdom, really important principles for life. But they're not laws for us in exactly the same way as they were if you were wandering in the wilderness with sure. the Israelites. and. Reading it so that it's our story, but not our chapter, has been helpful for me. Now, um, many times, I myself and I know others, we, we've claimed promises that we've read in the Old Testament and personalised them for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> right. But those promises were given to a particular people or to a particular person. Are we able just to take out 
little one-liners and encourage ourselves in our journey of faith. Is that right to do? Is it wrong to do? Well, I'd slightly change it. I'd say, are we able? I think God is able, right? So one of the things that surprises me about the Bible, God is able to take or God is able to work through a text that we've taken in a perhaps not intended kind of way and still speak to us through it. So I think I almost with the Bible never want to put a lid on what God can do. But in terms of what we should do, I think we need to be careful. And it's one of my concerns is I think too often we read the Bible in a very fragmented and individualistic way. We, we almost are snatching at it to say, I need some pick me up or I need some encouragement. What have you got? And the sort of random and fragmented way of reading the Bible, I think isn't largely helpful for God's people. I think we have to be more sensitive to reading the Bible on its own terms. So if it's if it's capturing the ancient story of Israel in the wilderness, we need to ask two questions, I always think. This is my encouragement. What and now what, right? So the yes. what question is, well, what did this mean back there and then? And if I pay attention to that and I give time to, well, what was the context? And where does this fit in the Bible story as a whole? And what did this cultural tradition or this spiritual tradition mean? If I'm paying attention and prepared to sort of journey back with the what question, I can more accurately then ask the now what question. So what did it mean back there and then? Now, what does this mean for me here and now? And I yes. think, so, so my answer is I, I absolutely believe all the history, all of scripture is God breathed and is profitable, useful for teaching. So I'm absolutely convinced of that. But I think sometimes we have to almost pay it due respect, go back in our thinking. What did it mean back there and then? And then it reveals itself. Now what? What does it mean for me here and now? And I think that still really holds. Yeah. Now, what about when we come across, we're reading and it appears that certain things contradict each other um, and we can't figure them out, you know, like the, the resurrection. You know, you read from different Gospels and it's like, wait a minute, is there a contradiction here? What do you do when you face those issues? Really honest, isn't it, to just face that because you know, the Bible is this complex, knotty, as I say, uh, as I said earlier, it's, I think it's extraordinary, the coherence and harmony that it has. So if you think about what's going on with the Bible, written over 40 different authors over a huge period, I mean, I often say to people, if you, if you walked into your local library, and someone said to you, yeah, there's many different authors in this library, but it all forms one big story, you'd be yeah. like, that's impossible. Yes. How could you possibly, you know, how could that, how, that's, that doesn't work. But with the Bible, it works. It so. Does. So I'm most surprised by the harmony, coherence. But there are moments where you stumble into something, you think, hang on a minute, um, how does that correlate? You know, so sometimes it's the, with the gospel, sometimes it's the nativity stories. People pick up on the Bethlehem narrative. Yes. And then, as you rightly say, at the other end of Jesus', of Jesus life or the beginning of his new creation life, there's yes. the resurrection stories and how do the appearances cohere? A couple of things I think I would say. Firstly, the gospels are... Uh, quite unique perspectives on the life of Jesus from different angles. And it's well documented that when any eyewitnesses see the same event from different angles, they will pick up on different details. And yeah. that isn't necessarily that they're contradicting each other or that they're fabricating the event, not at all. It can just mean that they have picked up on details that to the, to the person who saw it, that's what they saw from a different angle. They, 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 they focused in on something else. And I think what that means then is when the gospel writers, who were not, um, they were not writing history as we think of it. They were not writing yes. history 
almost like a CCTV camera, I'm just going to describe what happened. This is, the Gospels are not an ancient CCTV camera. The Gospels are testimony. They are, yes. um, they are a, a, a message. John says, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, that doesn't mean they're unreliable, but it does mean that they are not telling us everything that happened in exactly the sequence that it happened. They're telling us the headlines of what we need to know about who Jesus is and how we can have faith in him. So all that to say, I stumble into things, I'm still grappling with some questions, but I fundamentally come to a place where I'm convinced that even if I can't dot all the I's or cross all the T's, the scriptures themselves cohere, they have harmony yes. and we can trust them. And I totally believe and agree with that myself. As I've grappled, of course, it, you know, uh, like the Gospels, it's like uh, God speaking quadraphonically, yes, isn't he? Yes. Through four different yes. speakers and giving us different angles. Now, what about take a book like the book of Revelation? You know, it's a. I love reading it and yeah. I, I actually read it every year. Um, uh, but very hard to really understand. And sometimes we're trying to put our own human understanding into it. Mm. Do you think maybe with a book like Revelation, we've just got to hold it more lightly rather than feel we've got to interpret it? Oh, that's a good question. It's a knotty one, Revelation. I love it as well, actually. I love grappling with it. I think but part of what's going on with Revelation is that, um, we're, that the, the visions are giving us uh, insights into realities. I like, I like this little phrase that are quite literally out of this world, right? Yes. Now, of course, if you're going to do that, you've got to bring comparison points and symbolism and all the things that Revelation brings because you can't literally, again, you can't literally sort of show people this is what I'm talking about. It's a, John is seeing visions of things that, that are beyond our human understanding and yet he's wanting to capture through these visions what we need to know and distill it in ways that we can relate. He's a brilliant communicator. So symbolism is one of the things that often trips people up in Revelation, but the symbolism and the apocalyptic, it, we call Revelation apocalyptic, and apocalypsis is just a Greek verb meaning re, uh, to unveil. Or Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like um, when you open the curtains in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and I think Revelation opens the curtains on what's on two things, predominantly. What's going on in the heavenly realm right now? Because we only ever see this earthly realm and we can roughly work out what's going on here. And many of, much of that is disturbing. And for John's readers in the first century, what they saw on their side of the curtain was deeply disturbing. They were a very persecuted people, the early Christians. So in opening the curtains and showing them the throne of God and the one who looks like a lamb now enthroned in glory, yes. he's saying to them, I want you to know on the other side of the curtain, Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. Let that, you know, so Jesus often says in these visions, do not be afraid. It's like you, you don't need to be afraid if you've glimpsed the other side of the curtain. Now, of course, you've not seen everything on the other side, and nor could we, but we've seen enough to know that Jesus is Lord over the challenges we and the uncertainties we face. And a friend of mine, actually, at university, he read uh, the New Testament on his journey to faith. And uh, he read Revelation, and he just had that. I mean, a few people have said equivalents, but he basically just said, I, I really have, I'm very confused by this, but I understand that Jesus is the king. You know, yes. and I think, well, that's, Pretty, pretty much what you needed to know. So, That's it. So yes, grapple with some of the complexities, but know that above all of the turmoil, Jesus is king. That's what's happening now. Revelation also is the culmination of the Bible story. Yes. 
and it also shows us what will happen in the end. And I think we humans, we are hope-oriented creatures, right? We need to know that there is a future worth living for or we lose the will to live, right? And Revelation is saying there is a future worth living for. So don't miss, in grappling with the smaller detail, don't miss the big vision. There's something coming our way that is worth living for. Definitely. Uh, Now, um, I I follow the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan. And um, if you stick with that, uh, in one year, you'll read the Old Testament uh, once, the book of Psalms twice, and the New Testament twice in a year. And, And that's why I really like it, you know, reading four chapters a day. What's your personal Bible reading schedule? How do you do it? It's actually a bit less robust than that. Well done, there, John. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, my wife, Charlotte, and I, we, we tend to read an extract of the New Testament in the morning together. Um, it, one year, so we read through the New Testament together as a couple and pray, and then the Old Testament the next year. So we sort of oscillate between those two. That's what we do as a couple. But then I tend to, in addition to that, would often, if we're reading the New Testament together, I'd be reading through the Old Testament myself as well. Um, but we've also got kids, right? So yeah. we're on this journey where we're reading together as a couple, I tend to read a bit on my own. And then we're, we're seeking to bring our kids on the journey, which is fun. And they ask some interesting questions Absolutely. along the way. You know, how many concubines do you have? So we tend to engage them in reading the Bible in different ways. Yeah. Sometimes we'll read through a gospel. Some, we've actually recently been taking them through the big story of the Bible in yeah. 40 sessions. So there's different ways to do it. What I also like to so I like the bite size, just like yourself. I like the daily content. I actually, as well as bite size, I like to binge as well. Yeah. I lo- so I recently, I just on a starry night, I just read through the book of Romans. Yes. And I just found it utterly inspiring. You know, it's like uh, I, we, were, we were wild camping, actually. So, and, and the kids had fallen asleep. And under the starry sky, I just read Romans by torch. I just thought, this is tremendous. But it, some of these letters were, were written to be read in one sitting. And they, they yeah. have a, a power when you read them through. So I like to bite size and I like to yeah. binge. I like that so much you know sometimes we binge don't we on a tv series exactly i I think we need to pick up on your little phrase there why don't we binge on the bible (laughs) i know definitely another thing you've come up with is the bible course yes now tell us about the bible course well the course um originated back when we were living back in uh, in cornwall and we were helping ordinary people get into the bible basically and realizing that for many new Christians particularly, they, we, we stumble our way into this thing and we want it because the Holy Spirit gives us a, a desire and appetite. But nevertheless, it's a large and confusing book, the Bible. So the Bible course effectively takes people on a journey through from Genesis to Revelation over eight sessions. And it's a mix of video content and group discussion work. So the Bible course is, if you like, a slightly deeper dive showing how it all fits together. Um, the book I've more recently written is, if you like, a slightly more inspiring and, I mean, the sub, subheading, the Bible, a story that makes sense of life. I wanted to show, uh, having published the Bible course and almost helped people answer more the kind of where does Leviticus fit in kind of questions. I wanted to publish a book that said, but why would I bother with the Bible in the first place? Like, why is this not just dusty old history? How is this my story? How does this resonate with who I am as a human being? And so with the book, it's actually in bite-sized chapters, um, 40 bite-sized chapters that take you through the story of the Bible. But it's trying to do these two things at once. 
here's how we can make sense of the Bible, right? So that's what the book is doing. Yes. And here's how the Bible makes sense of us. And I felt like that's, that's what we need to bring together. So often our resources either make sense of the Bible, and that's a great thing to do, but they kind of leave it there. Or we write our books and our content around how can I live life well? And I wanted to bring those together and say, when we make sense of the Bible, the Bible makes sense of us. So understand this narrative of scripture, not as just Israel's story. Think of it like Russian dolls. You know, you you imagine if you've ever played with Russian dolls or a nest of tables, you've got the one story, but hidden inside that story is another story. And Israel's story of Exodus is our story of freedom, right? When you understand it in the light of Jesus, this isn't just something that happened in the wilderness. This is our human quest for freedom playing out. And we understand through Israel what real freedom is and how we can experience it through, through Jesus. So the Bible course is a, a sort of slightly deeper dive. The book is a much more personal guide, but both of them are trying to do the same thing. And, and that little slogan is what I've really come up with. It's, it's kind of the heartbeat of, for me, it's my passion, is when we make sense of the Bible, the Bible makes, makes sense, sense of us, of us. That's and you bring those together. Great strap line. So for you, Andrew, sum up for us um, why we should read the Bible, dig into the Bible today. Why should we do that? I could give so many reasons. I want to be precise and, and focused. And I want to say this. If you will keep going with the Bible, the Bible will keep you going. And I think that's an important understanding. Now, in other words, you've got to keep going with the Bible. It's not just going to happen for you. It's not easy. We're not pretending that it is. But the Bible is a resource that keeps us going if we keep going with it. You know, if, if your Bible is worn out, you won't be. And all these kinds of things I'm sure you've said before, Jane. Maybe, maybe I'm even quoting you back to yourself no, here. absolutely. And I believe it's true. I really do. I believe it's true that you just, you look at even statistically, research has demonstrated that when Christians have a pattern of engaging meaningfully with the Bible. They can weather the storms of life and they can flourish in every season. Psalm 1 puts it this way, doesn't it? Blessed is the person, blessed is the man or woman uh, whose, whose trust is in the, who, who does not sit in the way of sinners or in the way of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Yes. And on that law, he meditates day and night. And then it says, and he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and its leaf will not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And I think, well, that's really describing someone who's pitched their life rooted into the Bible, God's word, and they can flourish even in those seasons where there's drought. They have a source of strength. You can't see it on the surface, but their their roots are deeper than you can see. That's the person who's embedded their life in the Bible. So if you keep going with the Bible, the Bible will keep you going through all of life's challenges and ultimately it will guide us safely home. Amazing. And amen. Andrew Ollerton, thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. My pleasure. Thanks, J. John. Well, I'm inspired. I'm passionate about the Bible. But talking to Andrew, I'm even more passionate about the Bible. We really do need to take the Bible seriously and we need to dig into it for a time such as this. Um, consider Uh, getting Andrew's book. If you're a church leader, consider doing the course in your church. The Bible is the only book that we can read along with the author.
What a thought. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. Heroes of the Faith is a new podcast by J. John and his wife, Killy. Sign up today to hear the incredible stories of some of J. John's heroes of the Christian faith and the lessons we can learn from their lives. Hear about Harriet Tubman, who after escaping from a life of slavery in the USA, went on to rescue over 300 other slaves. John Bunyan, whose book, The Pilgrim's Progress, has sold more copies than any other book other than the Bible and inspired millions of people around the world. George Muller, who helped tens of thousands of children whilst leaving a lasting legacy of trust in God's provision. Ever wondered who saved more lives than anyone else on earth? Listen to the story of Edward Jenner, the Christian doctor who discovered vaccination. With a new story to be told each week, sign up now to hear J. John's Heroes of the Faith.